0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Good afternoon,
1: everyone. This is C.W. Hall, your host on the Midtown Business Radio show. Very pleased to be here today to help get the word out about some exciting organizations that are helping the Georgia community from a variety of different directions. I'll just go around the room real quick. We've got several guests with us today, so we'll get right to it. I've got uh, Mr. Lee Heron of the Georgia Research Alliance. You're the vice president of commercialization there. That's correct. Very glad to have you here. We've got uh, Bill Rich of the Georgia Manufacturing Extension Partnership with us today.
2: Great to be with you, C.W.
1: And uh, we also have Eric Chris, the CEO of Practice Admin, a physician group management and uh, uh, revenue cycle management co- organization here in the in the area. Is that correct?
0: That's right, CW.
1: Very glad to have you all here. We'll get right down to it. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, the the Georgia Research Alliance in terms of. Uh, how it got started, and kind of you know what your overarching mission is for uh, for the folks that you're trying to help.
3: Sure, CW. Um, the GRA actually was started in nineteen excuse, yes, 1990. So we've been around for a while. Um, responded in in response to a um, need for um, increasing the research capabilities in the state of Georgia. And it resulted from the loss to a couple of other states of some very high profile economic development recruitments recruiting a semiconductor consortium and a Japanese pharmaceutical company. Georgia made the short list for relocation of those companies but didn't receive the, the, the final bid. So business leaders in the state of Georgia got together with the, the current administration in the state and decided we needed to increase our research capabilities. The GRA was formed with the goal of increasing research capabilities and in doing so to create technology-based or innovation-based economic development opportunities. The program in which um, I, I work is called GRA Ventures, and what we're, we're charged, actually, with identifying technology in the state's universities, working with the, those universities to identify the opportunities to apply resources to mitigate risk, add value, and help get these products to the market. The state funds this operation, our art, GRA Ventures, and expects in return that we create jobs for Georgians through the formation of startup companies. So that's what we do. We work with the local universities, or un- actually universities throughout the state, help identify technologies with commercial potential, apply resources to help realize that potential, and in doing so, we create jobs.
1: So as we were talking before we went on the air today, you mentioned the fact that you have folks that are out Throughout the community, interacting with universities um, in a variety of locations, obviously as far as they go in Georgia, and you're identifying up and coming potential entrepreneurs, people uh, either in research or or you know just academia that have a nugget of an idea, particularly in technologies, but uh, maybe other things that uh, have some potential to actually become a viable commercialized product or or service that you then interact with and help them kind of bring that to market so that's
3: correct we we work with individuals at the universities which we call university representatives they actually walk the halls they get to know the faculty members who's doing research in what areas what areas offer the most commercial opportunity um, what faculty members may fit the criteria for that sort of scientific entrepreneur the faculty member who in addition to teaching responsibilities research responsibilities wants to see their technology commercialized and to benefit, you know, whether it be for medical applications, AG bio applications or manufacturing applications. These individuals identify the technologies, work with those faculty members they'll put proposals into us where we review them and fund fund the ones that seem to be the most promising. Another aspect of our program, because you mentioned people, and that's really the key to what we do. It's not just the technologies. We have no shortage of, great technology. We have great universities here, um, and we work with all the research universities. Um, where, where we've really placed a lot of emphasis recently is in recruiting individuals from the community who can provide business leadership to these opportunities. We call them an industry fellows because it's never just the technology alone. Technologies, there's, a, there's a ton of technologies that are great that never reach the commercial marketplace. It takes focus and dedication, In addition to the scientific entrepreneur, we need that business entrepreneur. We've initiated a program called Industry Fellows, um, whereby we we work through through various networks to identify folks who've sort of been there and done it, are very comfortable in the startup environment, uh, preferably have the ability to raise outside capital to provide the business leadership.
1: And that's what I was going to – that was going to be a question I was going to ask from the perspective of capitalization for, you know, an idea. I've got – you know, we talked a little bit about a company, uh, Variant and and Velocity, and hopefully we can chat a little bit about that because they're a great example. But from the perspective of taking my fantastic idea uh, for the the new and improved light bulb, uh, you know, obviously it takes capital to do that. Does some capital in that regard – come from you?
3: We provide the initial um, seed capital, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, We provide initial funding in the form of a grant to the universities. Usually we get involved prior to company formation. We're Mm -hmm. trying to make the decision, does it even make sense to form a company? So we'll provide grant money to explore whether or not a commercial opportunity truly exists. So we look at technology risk, we look at the market risk, we look at various factors that that tend to um, result in failure of companies. And we mitigate that risk.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And we do it actually with relatively small amounts of capital. Our money is rarely sufficient. Usually, in almost all cases, it's necessary to bring in outside capital, whether in the form of institutional venture capital, angel investment, strategic partner money, you know, or gov- government grants, you know, I, that, that sort of thing.
1: I would presume that with the weight and mass of, of Georgia Research Alliance that when you go and you speak with a venture capitalist or angel investor and you say, hey, we've got this uh, fantastic idea for a new light bulb, we want you to take a look at it, I presume that you can probably open doors that many people would have a hard time getting access to. Well,
3: well typically the venture capitalists know that we have vetted the technology, we understand the market risk. Um, venture capitalists tend to be very picky, and for very good reason. <laughs> yes. They're charged with giving a return to their investors. Right. Okay, so they're looking for certain companies that meet certain criteria. But I guess the best thing to do is, you know, just our and just look at our track record. We've had, um, you know, we've created over a hundred companies. Many of those are still in developments. Very dynamic situation. Um, those companies have raised about six hundred million dollars in venture capital, and most of that money has been outside the state of Georgia. We do have some a some venture capital firms in the state, but we don't have as many as, say, Boston, California, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we have been successful, not we, but the companies, have been successful in bringing in outside capital. The other thing I should mention, in addition to our grant program, we have a loan program, and then five years ago, our board of trustees recognized that, we didn't have sufficient venture capital in the state, particularly seed venture, which is that first money that comes in, first right. investment money. Yeah. So the board of trustees created a separate company called the Georgia Venture Fund Limited. Li- it's n- organized as a limited liability company that is an institutional venture capital fund. So um, we actually cover the innovation or the company formation sort of spectrum from idea all the way through to initial investment. Through our through Georgia Venture Fund,
1: are you actually you're, you're you're helping you know the the person that has the fantastic idea may or may not be the best operator from a standpoint of f- forming a company, managing a company, running it efficiently. So those are some of the talent you know acquisition, if you will, yeah. that you're kind of bringing together, introducing to an organization that they're trying to that's, get started. That's
3: correct. Our, we in fact we do not want that faculty member to quit their day job. That's very <laughs> important for a couple of reasons. Number one, if we had promising rising star faculty members quitting their day jobs the university presidents wouldn't be very happy (laughs) that's not our goal right we want them to stick to what they do best which is create these great technologies Mm -hmm. and that's why we need those business entrepreneurs to come in to work with that faculty member and actually form a team nothing ever gets to the market without having a great team around it
1: and as we were sitting around before the show Uh, kicked off on the air we were talking a little bit about the fact that georgia research alliance um, is a not-for-profit organization that receives some state funding versus for-profit incubator type organizations that may do some similar things but they're going to become invested if you will financially there's a financial link to that company whether it's equity or whatever it may be profit sharing of some kind where you're you're truly just you know altruistic to a certain extent to the state and that is we're trying to bring innovative companies and products and services here to the to the community and help them grow and and let you know basically the state's economy be a beneficiary.
3: Sure, absolutely. We're 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 stewards of state dollars and we take that responsibility very seriously. Our job is to create jobs for Georgians through the formation of startup companies. And we do it through a not-for-profit model, and for us that works. And we believe for the state that works very, very well. Also, um, you know, we can take a, a Velocity Medical, great example of you know of the way our program works. This is a company that startup company that was recently acquired by Varian, a California-based company. Um, Velocity will be low, will be staying here. It's not going to be leaving the state. <laughs> very important point to make. Right. Um, Velocity started as an idea out of Emory University. A medical oncologist and a medical physicist got together and said, wouldn't it be great if we had some software that allowed us to manipulate images so that when we're treating patients with radiation therapy, we can do a better job of planning and we can track these patients longitudinally to see how they respond to, the, to radiation therapy. And so they brought in a programmer. So those three founders started the company Velocity Medical It's been about eight years, and over time, they put together a program, tested it to the market, introduced it, sales grew, they got the attention of various industry players. Varian is the largest manufacturer of linear accelerators in the United States, and realized that Velocity had a software offering that they could definitely benefit uh, from incorporating with their hardware. The acquisition closed, I believe, in May of this year. Velocity is now probably you know close to 30 employees if not more than that with plans to grow so that's for us that may not seem a lot but oh that's huge though really it's you know if we can create a hundred of those we're 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 doing a great job and that's our goal
1: and you know an organization like that is obviously going to impact patient outcomes in our community too so i mean beyond just the economic impact just the overall health of our community economically and you know, from Abs- a absolutely you know medicals perspective is 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 can't be understated. Um, what are the you know when you when you think about how it impacts the Georgia economy? I mean, you know, without putting you on the spot in terms of hard numbers, but are there some? Rough estimates of, you know, you've talked about 100 companies have been formed through, re, you know, interacting with your Georgia Research Alliance. Uh, is there kind of a rough estimate of how many jobs we've ended up kind of impacting we, through this we process? Track,
3: we track that on an annual basis, and we conduct a survey. These companies are very dynamic. You know, they they may have a great year one year, then the next year they're down a bit. But we we do track the number of employees, direct, indirect employees, and we do a, a, an economic analysis, not the type that's done by the, uh, the, you know, the economist, you know, that look at ripple effects and that sort of thing. But we can look to about somewhere between 550 and 650 direct jobs right now created by the, those companies and growing. Um, well, we are not satisfied with that. We I, want it to, you know, it takes obviously these are technology companies. That's right. It takes right. years many times for those products to reach the market. Um
1: well, that's still a lot of people that are getting put to work and families that are being impacted. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think that that's a, a small number well, by any stretch. Another I think think an important it.
3: point to make is these jobs tend to be high-paying jobs because companies like Varian Medical System, they're employing software programmers. Um, you know, the average salary is probably um, it's going to be certainly north of $60,000. That's one thing we haven't tracked, but they tend to be more high-paying jobs.
1: With being a not-for-profit organization, are, are pretty much the, the majority of the funds coming from the state, or do you do some fundraising sort of we, functions in the community as well?
3: Both. Um, we do receive funds from the state, which are put into programs that go back into the state. So those state dollars really are – the state, in its wisdom, realized it didn't have the resources – or the bandwidth to do to do what we do. We're focused on the research capabilities and we understand that. So the state provides us funds for these commercialization efforts. They go back into the state as far as our operations, rent, overhead, office supplies, utilities. That's paid from our our private fundraising efforts. Those come primarily from donations as a not-for-profit. We do that on it. Well, it's on, a, on an ongoing basis now.
1: So do you have kind of a particular events that you engage in on an annual we, basis? How does that work?
3: We have a development officer who's done an outstanding job over the last couple of years in going from a psych, every three-year cycle to an ongoing fundraising activity, but we haven't done sort of specific fundraising like, you know, american heart association balls or things right. like that we have not done that
1: what do you think is the, kind of the one of the greatest challenges about what you're doing here with the georgia research alliance is there you know kind of a primary hurdle or hurdles that you end up facing and trying to do what you do or is it more just trying to identify the right right entities How does, what well, do you think is the hard thing first, that keeps as far, you up at night?
3: as far as the um the job it's it's a wonderful job you know as someone who loves technology it's it's like a dream job but in terms of the um you know the challenges we all have challenges and our technology sort of scope covers everything from aerospace engineering to zebrafish every everything in between so it's extremely broad um, everything has its unique challenges but when viewed from the startup view they're always there's somewhat there are certain similarities number one is is finding the you know the technology that's going to have the commercial potential it's you know it's not we try to get away from a technology looking for a market to a market need, and we'll find the technology to address that need. So we, we, we're really trying to focus on that. Um, the interpersonal issues, finding the faculty entrepreneur, the scientific entrepreneur, that fits well with that business entrepreneur. Um, we've seen companies that, for whatever reason, that chemistry doesn't work. And many times, you can have great technology, great opportunity. But because of the, the team dynamics, it's necessary sometimes to make a change in that team. So those are issues that we deal with. There's, you know, there's, there's subtleties, but they're all critically important. Um, so the, there are some similarities, whether it's, you know, aerospace engineering or zebrafish. You know, it's, it's identifying a technology to fit a market need.
1: We've been talking with Lee Heron, the vice president of commercialization for the Georgia Research Alliance. Um, you know, before I jump over to uh, my next guest, what what would you, let, you know, in terms of a, do you think there's a point or a piece of information that you really feel is important for folks to know about the the Georgia Research Alliance, whether it's how to get in touch with you, whether it is how to interact with you or, you know, to, you know, to kind of wave your hand and get on the radar, whatever that may be, what, do you, what would you, what'd you have for the community on that regard? Well,
3: you know, it's like I mentioned previously, we really don't have a shortage of great technologies coming from the university. We're many times looking for individuals um, that have certain capabilities that startup companies need, you know, whether it be in industrial design, engineering, um, it, it truly takes a team for this to work. Atlanta has a, a tremendous capabilities. We think we're very well positioned to create technology clusters here in various areas. Um, and we, it takes a community. I mean it's never done in isolation. it takes a community. So we're looking for you know various resources and that's you know in recognition that you know it does take a community. So nothing specific, But um, we're looking for opportunities to leverage local resources to help develop these startup companies.
1: Excellent. Well, I, I really want to say thank you for taking some time to come out and, and tell us a little bit about your programs.
3: CW, it's been my great pleasure. We'll You'll circle back us.
1: before we jump off, and we'll talk about where you are on the web in terms of social media and the website so people can get in touch with you. And uh, jump right over here to our next guest from the Georgia Tech Manufacturing Extension Partnership. It's Bill Rich, the North Metro Region Manager. And so thanks for coming.
2: Oh, thanks for uh, having me
1: so, so tell us a little bit about the, the the Georgia Tech MEP, you know, as it's called, or the Manufacturing Extension Partnership, in terms of what your focus is and what we're trying to achieve.
2: Um, well, just to step back from that to talk a little bit about the Manufacturing Extension Partnership as a whole, uh, that is a federal program under the Department of Commerce um, that provides uh, some cost match funding. To organizations in every state. So there's actually a manufacturing extension partnership in every state. Um, in Georgia, uh, the manufacturing extension partnership is housed under the Georgia Tech umbrella uh, and the Enterprise Innovation Institute. Um, that being the economic development outreach program, through Georgia Tech?
1: Tangential question, but with your status as part of the manufacturing extension partnership, you know, that works and interfaces with the, the federal side of things, does that does that relationship move around or has Georgia Tech won and it's now part of the Georgia Tech you know that you're you're kind of the administrator for Georgia going forward you know from now on is that you know, maybe a goofy question but is it residing that responsibility going to reside with Georgia tech is it something that changes hands
2: no a- actually that makes a, that's a great question um the manufacturing extension partnership some states there's independent 501c3s uh, that receive the cost matching funds from the federal government um, other states are housed or affiliated with a university-based institution and then there might be some hybrid type approaches as well um, so it is a, a granting program um, the our federal sponsor does uh, do surveys of all our clients that we work with and there are um, biannual reviews uh, with the manufacturing extension program leadership um, to uh, you know proceed with saying hey the Things are going well with this MEP center, and we're moving forward. Um, historically, Georgia Tech was founded as a, a manufacturing institute, if you will. Right. And so originally there was two buildings, one being the academic building and the other one <laughs> being the plant, uh, so you could go apply this, you know, these theoretical principles and apply them um, in the manufacturing world. And so there's always been that component with Georgia Tech. Um, our program evolved. I believe the MEP uh, funding came about in the – Early ni- late 80s, early 90s. Um, and at that time, Georgia Tech was awarded that that uh, grant and has continued to receive that grant through up until the present.
1: And so from, you know, when we, we were talking with uh, Georgia Research Alliance, uh, you know, there's some, some minor similarities in the sense that you do a couple of things. You'll potentially take something from, you know, that may bubble up from the academic side of things as a potential um, innovation or Product or service, and kind of through a couple of different programs within Georgia Tech that kind of somewhat, you know, interact with you over some some ways to help bubble up a new idea. But you also then focus heavily with organizations in the community that need greater efficiencies or could do things in a better way to make their business and and their economic impact in the state maybe a little bit broader.
2: Yeah, correct. Um, so if you yeah, just to step back again a little bit, the Enterprise Innovation Institute is the economic development outreach program from Georgia Tech, and there's various programs that are housed um, under that unit. Uh, The Manufacturing Extension Partnership specifically uh, targets small to mid-sized manufacturers, um, and we support manufacturers throughout the whole state of Georgia. Uh, We're broken up into nine regions, our MEP, and there's an office in each one of those nine regions, and I have a colleague in each one of those regions. But we provide uh, assistance in in a few different ways. Um, One primarily is we provide management systems implementation support uh, in the areas of sustainability, quality, continuous improvement, and growth strategies. So Um, from
1: from like a consulting relationship where you'll have someone with some experience in that kind of particular industry niche, if you will, that can come in and kind of perhaps throw an extra set of eyes and say, this could potentially be done better this way? Is that what you're saying? Or how do you kind of help them out through your your services?
2: Yeah, real interesting. So, uh, you you know, you mentioned the word consulting, and to some degree, you might be able to use that as a word that defines the way we provide direct services to manufacturers. Our engagement model is very much differently, and then it's more of a um, on-the-job training through implementation of those management systems. Um, In our engagements with, uh, again, small, mid-sized manufacturers being resource-constrained, uh, they end up having to do a lot of the heavy lifting, um, and our engagements with them are, uh, you know, generally a, a typical project. Uh, one particular project might encompass five days of um, interaction with that manufacturer.
1: Now, how you, with the, the client companies that you end up working with, how, how are they identified? Do they come to you and say, hey, we would like to interact with the MEP, or... Kind of like Georgia Research Alliance, you're in the community a little bit, looking for them. Kind of how does that how does that flow in terms of interacting with those uh, various manufacturing groups that you're going to be doing your your services with?
2: Yeah, that <clears throat> that's an interesting uh, question. A lot of times we'll hear from our advisory board and clients that we work with that we're the best kept secret in the state of Georgia. <laughs> um, so. A lot of the ways that we do outreach, again, there's not a significant marketing arm right. uh, that we put forth to let folks know what's going on. But myself and my colleagues in the um, other regions work with local development authorities um, in economic development programs uh, to reach out to manufacturers. Um, and again, we try to get engaged within the, the manufacturing community in each of our regions um, to let folks know, hey, we're here uh, as a, a support if needed. Um, but even to step back beyond that, um, from the direct services we provide, we also are a great connector in the community as well. Um, so whether that be connecting to uh, some research that's uh, happening at Georgia Tech or one of our other uh, institutions throughout the state, um, we help do that. A lot of times we help folks connect to local development authorities if they, if they need that assistance or even to other private industries within, within the state of Georgia as well
1: and being you know interacting with the you know the federal MEP program and obviously being Georgia Tech it's you know likewise a non-profit organization what 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 makes this the better choice for me as if I'm a you know manufacturing organization to to interface with you know Georgia Tech manufacturing extension partnership versus trying to engage you know maybe more of a uh, for profit if you will kind of organization that would potentially help streamline my my organization uh, you know tell me a little bit about that why why choose this route versus something else that that were you know that's more p- for profit for, per se
2: well in it so um the way we engage, again, our, we generally are targeting small, mid-sized manufacturers that we work with that are somewhat resource-constrained, mm-hmm. um, not only from a, a, a financial or dollars aspect, but also from a, a, you know staff and <laughs> people that can help you know pick up the ball and run with these things. Um, so generally, uh, we're not necessarily directly competing with the typical management consultants in the direct services we provide. Um, but beyond that... Um, You know, again, from, you know, economic development within the state of Georgia, we're here to help support manufacturers remain competitive and grow their business. Um, So whenever they uh, a company may approach us, uh, they may be considering other options that are available. And we always encourage them to choose the best option that's for them.
1: Do you have maybe, you know, an example we talked you know, for example, with uh, our previous guest uh, about uh, kind of one of the groups that they worked with? Do you have some, uh, you know, an organization you can think of that maybe kind of gives a good example of, of what you're talking
2: about? Um, well, there's uh, – we've worked with a client um, down in Noonan, uh, Georgia, uh, that's a manufacturer, a uh, small manufacturer um, that makes pins, if you will, and other uh, engineered components Um, So over the period of uh, probably 12 to 18 months, um, we helped them reduce their lead times and their cost base. Uh, Their lead times were approaching six to eight weeks. um, After the, you know, 12 to 18 months of them doing a lot of heavy lifting and making improvements within their shop floor, they were able to reduce that lead time to under three weeks for most, almost all their products and in in many cases get it down to one week. Um, So as a result, they freed up a bunch of capacity. Um, and now we're working closely with them. Uh, they've identified the aerospace industry as a market that they would like to approach. Uh, they've done a little bit of business in that area, so now we're helping to link them up with peer manufacturers within the state of Georgia, um, not competitors, if you will, but other um, manufacturers serving the aerospace industry to help them learn more about that industry and how they can become uh, grow their market share in, in that industry.
1: So I guess that's kind of typical of what you're looking to achieve in terms of just greater efficiency and, and freeing up resources through those types of interactions such that maybe they can add jobs for their organization to you know extend their capacity and then therefore you, again you're, you're kind of bringing it back into the economic impact of the companies that you're interacting with here in the state so you're able to like this company here you're talking about you made them a little lot more efficient i would assume that with their lead uh, well, times
2: well i'll recommend i'll say this they made themselves more efficient, so we uh, more efficient with some guidance though yeah, right, right 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 yeah
1: correct you know they were making the changes as they were holding hands with uh, with your group and and you know obviously at the end of that i presume that you know if if it made sense for them they could potentially afford to either add jobs or if nothing else just add revenue uh, from increasing their sales now their service their their service response times are greatly improved so you're going to still impact our economy that way so that's pretty impressive
2: yeah so in in their particular case um you know one of the ways that the the the, uh, the vice president of operations that we work with said uh, she said we are able to free up brain space now uh that we're not having to fight fires and if we we've made these operational improvements so now that we can free up brain space within again limited resources a small manufacturer now they can start to put more focus in structure and process around how they grow their business. Um, and that's one of the key areas that we're really trying to work with small to mid-sized manufacturers is this whole idea of putting structure and process around your innovation management. Um innovation's a huge buzzword, but how do you put some specific tools around it so that you're actually acting on and being intentional intentional about how you grow your business.
1: We're, we're, we're talking with Bill Rich of the uh, Georgia Tech Manufacturing Extension Partnership. And, and tell me, a bit, with your team that's going to go out and engage with the various manufacturing clients that you're working with, are you academians? Are you folks that come from manufacturing yourself, you know, and now you're Kind of forming the team that that uh, the Georgia Tech MEP has put together. What where do you guys come from? Is it is it academia or is it more you know straight from manufacturing that they've kind of brought in to be experts that they're going to use to help these groups?
2: Yeah, with our uh, all of the staff within our manufacturing extension partnership have uh, past industry experience um, in various different industries, be it chemical industry, uh, automotive industry, aerospace. Um, so and and then. Even within the different service areas that provide, you know, energy and environmental management systems, quality management systems, uh, continuous improvement, and growth strategies, um, every one of our staff has had experience within different industries within those different fields.
1: And as as it relates to the client organizations that you work with, obviously we talked a little bit about the fact that many of them, or if not most of them, tend to be on the on the smaller end in terms of their their scale of, of employees. There may not be thousands of people. It may be a handful of people. Um, but I mean, are there other characteristics of the typical manufacturing organization that links up with the MEP?
2: Um, uh, generally, um, you know, there are companies that are, the, I should say, the ones that are most successful at engaging our services are willing to get out of the building, um, learn new ideas and practices, not only from uh, s- support and services that we can provide through the MEP, but that want to reach out and, and collaborate with peer manufacturers um, th- within their region and throughout the state as well.
1: Yeah. Talk about n- new things that are going on with regards to, you know, the manufacturing extension project. Are there some trends that we're seeing in this kind of space where, you know, the industries, the way we interact with them or whatever it may be, you know, tell me a little bit about what's what's coming down the road for the manufacturing extension program.
2: So from a from a manufacturing standpoint, if you look through history in the 60s and 70s, there was this real movement around quality. Um, so how do we improve our quality uh, that we deliver to our customers? Um, and then in the 80s and 90s, there was this real push for continuous improvement. Uh, so lean systems in, in Six Sigma, uh, as many have, have uh, heard about within the manufacturing community, and in even more broadly sense outside of manufacturing, those tools apply as well as well as quality do. Um At this point in time, innovation has been a huge buzzword, uh, but it's really about putting some structure behind. Okay, so you've done quality, you've done the continuous improvement, um, you're continuing to have incremental improvements there. How are you really looking at your company and positioning yourself to grow? Um, And that can be through new products, it can be through new business models, it can be through new services, new markets, et cetera. Um, So how do you really put some structure behind it and develop and use some tools, just like you do in a quality management system? Continuous improvement management system, or uh, in this case, an innovation management system. So you put you're very intentional about how you grow your business. Um, so we've really been uh, talking with um, manufacturers within Georgia to understand better where are you positioned um, so that you can continue to compete and thrive uh, in your in your industries.
1: So you'll actually bring potentially if you're engaged with a you know manufacturing company X, you may end up. Seeing something elsewhere, you know, since you're part of a nationwide program, essentially, you can bring some outside, you know, we see this going on in this kind of community and similar.
2: Yeah, We call that stimulus, right? So how do you how do you really stimulate and get outside the building and see what else is happening out there? Mm Uh, that then helps your own thought process say, hey, how could I look at things a little bit differently?
1: So you can inject some best practices from other similar industries in a, another geography outside of our state then?
2: Yeah, and, and ideally one of the best ways that we do that is is not all the time through direct services that we provide, but helping get these companies together to collaborate.
1: Build their network of knowledge and, and contacts.
2: Exactly. One, one program that we do run that we have uh, more than 70 um, – Companies participating as a lean consortium, and that's hosted regionally. Um, and the whole idea there is for those companies to get together and share their best practices. Um, you know, those that have been practicing, uh, particularly lean manufacturing practices, how can you do a little bit of show and tell and share more? And then even at some point, they'll invite uh, their participating members in to help them work on improvement projects.
1: What would you say... Um Bill is is the greatest challenge that you face in in your work here. You know, as, as part of the the manufacturing extension partnership, what do you think is kind of the, the greatest hurdle that that your organization ends up having to to overcome as you do what you do?
2: Um, you know, I would say uh, one of the greatest hurdles we have is really just getting out there and, and getting the word out to organizations to say, hey, uh, you know, I I tell my clients all the time, those that I that I meet with, is that. When you're doing a quick Google search and you can't find the answer to something, uh, if you give me a call, chances are that, you know, I may not know the answer directly. I may not have the direct person that does, but within two or three connections, we can usually get you um, down the right path to to finding a solution to that problem that you may have.
1: Now, for me to get assistance, I mean, is there a kind of a formal process that I need to go through to, you know, to engage my manufacturing company with, the manufacturing extension partnership how does that work in terms of the the formal relationship
2: um well from the formal relationship uh you know in many cases folks will reach out to us through our website uh it's g a m e p g-a-m-e-p.org uh georgia M E P org um and they can contact that through us uh they can f- uh, view some of the services that we provide directly um All of the region managers, uh, so wherever they are within the state of Georgia, they can contact their local region manager. I highly encourage any manufacturer to to get involved and and know who that representative is. Again, just for whenever questions come up, not necessarily to provide direct services, but to act as a connector um, to other resources that are available to them. Um, So, you know, from... Kind of building that awareness in, 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 uh, is a big challenge, but just reaching out and, and letting manufacturers. know we're, we're here to help see that you are successful, that you are able to compete and continue to grow your business to to help produce jobs within Georgia.
1: For, for you and the, the Georgia Tech Manufacturing Extension Partnership, I mean, you know, I I'd, I'd like to do this with each of our guests. I mean, before we, you know, move on and introduce our, our next person on the show, I mean— Parting thoughts that you can think of that that might be valuable if I'm listening today to, you know, what would you really like to drive home? Obviously, you know, know about us is one thing. Engage with us on our website. And anything else you can think of that, you know, just a good talking point or something that someone could take away about the, the, the program that you have?
2: Yeah, well, um, I guess just from manufacturers in general, and this is uh, true of all sizes, um, uh, but within their plant, right? So it may be a huge company, but within their plant, there's, uh, you know, 50 to 200 employees um, is really to, to challenge those folks to, you know, they get caught up in their day-to-day putting out fires getting the job done, but to be able to take some time and step outside of the building and really network with peers. Um, I find, and I can't say this is data-driven, but anecdotally, uh, my experience has been that, that those companies that make an effort to get outside of their walls... And learn from their peer manufacturers uh, tend to be more successful
1: that's great 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 advice and I want to say thank you also Bill for coming on today and talking to us a little bit about the Georgia Tech manufacturing extension partnership so thank you for investing your time today
2: yeah and uh, thanks for uh, spitting that mouthful out there about, uh, <laughs> hey I, I too, practiced
1: huh? that a couple of times before we went on <laughs> it here, looked so like could, you were gonna bumble so, it up so but. that I could uh, get it out there without having to go the the G M E P. GMEP. um so, last but not least, uh, I'd like to introduce our listeners to Eric Christ, the Chief Executive Officer of Practice Admin. Welcome. Thank you, CW. and And so the Practice admin, you you're a group that works with obviously physician practices or medical entities that are looking for um, some leadership in terms of you know operating efficiencies and potentially revenue cycle management, those types of services. That's
0: right. So we provide software as a service. Uh, hosted software solution as well as back-end services to help medical practices and third-party medical billing companies do that revenue cycle management. So the the back-office side of the physician practice. I, I know you're, you've you been in healthcare, CW. I don't know if, yeah. you've, ever, if you've ever looked at a, a claim and what, what goes yeah. into creating a claim to get paid by the insurance company. Yes. It is uh, – not an easy process,
1: I, I, you know, and it's only getting more and more difficult. Obviously, as uh, my colleague, uh, Doctor Schwegman who's uh, sitting in off the mic today, but uh, he can certainly attest to the same thing that it's extremely challenging for these providers. They're they're in the business of healthcare, so on one hand, they're here to help the health outcomes of our patients in the community, but then the other side, they've got a they've got a house and they've got a kid and and uh, Uh, bills to pay. So it's a business. And that side of things is extremely complicated. And annually, literally, it gets more and more uh, involved and and complicated. So a group like yours can really kind of come in and take some of the headaches out.
0: Sure. And, uh, you know, all doctors went to medical school, but not many of them went to business school. So uh, particularly when they're in a solo or small practice, and they're, they're trying to do two things at once, right? They're trying to practice medicine, but they also have a business to run. And that can be a challenge, just because they don't have necessarily the aptitude uh, to to be a business person as well as uh, delivering medicine, but but also the complexity associated with our healthcare payment model today, where uh, you have a, a mixed model of commercial insurance, but also Medicare, Medicaid. Yeah. So and. All of those entities have different rules and regulations. Uh, there are some standards in terms of, like at least the the format of the claim form is is pretty much standardized, both on paper and and electronic, uh, and the the code sets that you use to uh, to mark the diagnosis or mark the procedures. Uh, but all the different little. Uh, Individual, you know, quirks that each payer has about what they want to see on a, on a claim form how, with the documentation that you have to provide to justify a certain level of of complex procedure that you want a higher reimbursement rate for, and so our, our software, you know, among other things, helps try to maximize uh, that that for you.
1: Now, the the practice management software that we're talking about is it, it's more. F- Facing the back side of the office, right? Th- that's more the that's correct. Side, that- more than the clinical side, so it links in with an electronic medical record. Th-
0: that's exactly right. So, I- I- in the industry today, you, you sort of have have three offerings: you have an EMR only, you have a practice management only, and then you do have some some bundled solutions where companies have put the two pieces together and offer an, an integrated platform. At Practice Admin, we focus just on the practice management piece, so just the patient accounting and uh, and billing. Uh, the collections follow up with the patient. You know, some people might say, "Well, I, why not? Why don't I just buy a, a integrated solution from a single vendor?" Right. And I guess, you know, I guess being a little self serving, we would say, "Well, that'd be like hiring uh, uh, someone to do your plumbing and your elect- electrical work in the same place." You know, so we would argue that there's benefits with something as highly complex as billing. Uh, insurance claim management to have a best-of-breed solution rather than – generally what you see is you see EMR companies say, I can add a billing uh, module to my software. Right. Uh, and then I, I'm sure you know in a, in a well-won practice, the billing staff is going to tell you that that's, that's a whole separate you know uh, function with its own, its own complexities. Uh,
1: well, you can certainly you know. leak a whole lot of revenue very quickly with – inefficient coding I, I certainly know that i don't have to have my hands on it very much at all really right uh, none at all uh, in our practice though i'm familiar with the process they go through and you know to link up i i can certainly understand the temptation to get a jack of all trades master of none sort of program in right. place just from a training and simplicity kind of perspective but this is really where the rubber meets the road as it relates to the financial viability of your practice and whether or not you retain these employees that you have as part of your practice supporting you so i can only imagine that that's important here
0: yeah where the, where the two systems really touch are the the patient data in terms of not the clinical data but the patient demographic data right your name and address date of birth you need those on both sides because when you file the claim you need patient you know date of birth address you need their insurance information so those, that piece of information can flow back and forth between those two systems. There are some nice uh, industry standards for interfaces between EMR and, and a billing system. The other thing that we, we see is that some EMRs also offer charge capture, right? So if you're the physician in the EMR, as you're checking off your procedures, your CPT codes, so that you'd want that information to electronically flow back into the practice management system so that the billing staff didn't necessarily have to to, to rekey that. You know, today you still see lots of physician practices where they use the encounter form, the super bill, yeah. where the physician at the end of the visit, he has that one sheet of paper that we've all, all seen, which has all these <laughs> strange code numbers on it, and he circles the couple of things that, that he did to you while you were there in the office. And then that goes to the billing staff. They look up the patient. They, they punch that in. So with a practice that has an EMR in place that has a charge capture capability, it is certainly convenient for the practice to bill at least have that information come over. But what we would say is you still want a trained biller looking at that information. You don't necessarily want that to automatically go out as a, a claim to the insurance company because you might be underbilling, so leaving money on the table, or you might be overbilling, which then opens you up to, to an audit. And, <laughs> and Medicare in particular, because it's all of our tax dollars at work, uh, they have a, a group of folks out there called recovery audit uh, consultants yep, who will yep, rack, they yep. get they get paid as a percentage of what they find that you overbuild. So they I'm have, sure they look really hard. <laughs> they, they look they look very very hard. And while our software, uh, of course, can't can't guarantee or prevent you from underbilling or overbilling, you know, we like to think that having it all electronic and being able to follow a good process is one of the hallmarks to trying to accurately bill.
1: We're talking with Eric Christ of Practice Admin uh, and as part of your program, you you know, obviously we're talking about, you have practice management software, but you also provide some, actual professional services so that you you can also provide that billing expert as a, as a part of what you do in addition yeah, to the software.
0: Yeah, we do a couple things. One, our, our staff who supports the software, all, uh, most of them have billing experience, have worked in medical practices, and so have been on the front lines of doing billing so we can provide some guidance uh, when you're talking to us. We also have uh, partnered with uh, Dell. Uh, they have an outsourced services group based in India who has expertise in coding, Uh, charge entry, payment posting. So if you're a a billing service, uh, and just for the listeners there, so about 30% of medical practices outsource their billing function to a third-party medical billing company. Mm -hmm. And so this is a standalone company who has multiple clients multiple medical practices and their specialty is doing that billing function they're saying to the practice you focus on the medicine we'll do the billing piece for you and we and generally the most common models they get paid as a percent of what they right, collect ten percent or or right roughly, yeah. right uh and so what we've seen though is is doing the just the data entry of posting the payments or entering the charges this is not particular value add so it's even for those medical billing companies, it makes a lot of sense to uh, outsource that function to India or some other offshore. Or we, even, we even had a, a customer using a group down in Belize. So you can even do the same hemisphere uh, outsourcing. And what one of my customers, when they moved to this model, all of their U.S. domestic staff was, Are you, are you going to fire me? You know, is, is this replay? they said, No, no, here's what we're doing we're hiring you an assistant in India. And overnight, that person is going to do the the routine work of posting these payments. And the ones that are complex or if there's some issue with them, the next morning when you come in, there'll be a list of those. So you'll work on the, the denials uh, or problems with a payment. And you'll also be able to spend more time managing the account, working with the practice, getting you know, working with the staff on their issues. And so we resell those types of services. The other thing we offer is a variety of add-on services, things like uh, statement uh printing. So when it's time, when the insurance companies are all done, you've had your primary, your secondary, perhaps even your tertiary uh, insurance company pay, and now it's time to Get, send out those letters that we all, we all get as patients, yeah. uh, which if, if you're like me, the first one, you say, well, the insurance company must not be done yet. I throw that one away. And the, the second one, <laughs> what? Huh, come on. No, I'm sure insurance, and I throw that one away. The third one, well, maybe I'll take a look at that. And maybe I'll call the practice and say, do I actually owe this money? Because right. you know I don't want to pay money I don't owe, right, you know, right. you know, type, type of thing. So with our software, one of the things it, it, it does is uh, you can turn on a feature that Every night we generate a batch file that goes to a printing house, so all of your statements can be printed uh, automatically, and you can have various uh, um, uh, sequences set up, how many statements leading to a, a sort of a final notice with a little a scary cover letter on it. No, you really do owe this amount. You need, you need <laughs> to pay us. Um, other things, uh, eligibility verification. So when the patient you know comes in the door, is there is their insurance information you have on file accurate? Not that they're trying to pull the fast one, but just if they haven't updated their information, you're going to waste time built as the practice building the wrong insurance company and to come back and you have to call the patient and, and and do that over again.
1: That's right. So if with with your group, is there kind of a particular practice um, model in terms of size or you know? Is there a primary kind of niche within the medical community that you tend to be that, that you know that this kind of solution makes the sure. greatest sense for, or is it just if you're in the medical industry, we can help you?
0: Yeah. So if you're a, a medical practice and we have direct medical practice customers, we cover pretty much all ambulatory medical practice settings. There's, there's a few specialties. Uh, well, like ambulance is, is a. Uh, uh, Part B, or professional fee biller. We don't hand, handle ambulance billing. But pretty much all of primary care, uh, all, all the ologies, the oncologies, the urology, et, et cetera. Uh, and so we have those customers as a direct client. But just our particular go-to-market strategy is to focus on the medical billing companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have some features in our software that are really of m- most value if you're managing multiple practices as client accounts. Uh, and from a growth perspective, we like that model because uh, if you're – our primary, uh, our most common price plan is per provider, so we scale based on the size of the organization. So, if you're a medical practice and you have your uh, ortho practice with two docs, yeah, you might add a third one. You know, you might maybe that, or maybe you shrink down one or something. But you don't, you don't dramatically change your provider size very often, right? right? Well, if you're a medical billing company. Hopefully your goal is to grow your business, right? You're running a business, and so you have three clients, three client accounts today, and next month you add a fourth. And so we view that there's a, there's a significant leverage effect, right? We add you. So we, like for an example, I have a client billing service here in Atlanta started at a one-client account, $300 a month, and now they're $3,000 a month account to us, because they've grown their business and continued to use us as their preferred billing platform.
1: So you'd be able to take that organization that focuses on the billing side, they're an outsourcing you know, a physician billing group, and be able to make them, kind of like we talked about earlier, you'd help them achieve greater efficiency, because they're using your services that give them some assistance, give them a greater deal of accuracy, so that this one billing coding person that they have as part of their service can now take care of two or three more providers or groups potentially that they're serving without having to add another seat to their company so they can grow their revenues without necessarily having to grow the costs associated with that growth at quite a fast rate. Would that be right?
0: Exactly right. So a common dynamic we see in the billing service industry is uh, you start out uh, in the business and you have one or two clients and you grow maybe to five or seven and you sort of peak at that point. And the reason is that Five or seven, if you're the owner of the business, that's about as many as you can service yourself. And so if you're trying to keep tabs on each of your accounts and and, – so what you really need to do to take that next step is, one, you need to put processes in place. You need to put some technology in place. You need to sort of turn it into more of a true business with you as the president doing hopefully primarily business development, sales and marketing. And you have an operational staff who's then servicing not just five to seven clients but maybe – Ten to twenty clients, or I have a couple billing services who are in the the hundreds of clients. Uh, so we have a uh, uh, a customer based in New York who does behavioral health practice billing, and they've gotten it down to a science where they'll even take a, a part time single practitioner, and they'll put them on the system, and so and they'll do the billing for them. And now they have 143 different uh, medical practices that they do billing for, and. One of the key things that our software does is make sure that you don't forget about a claim because the the worst thing that can happen with a claim is not that it gets rejected because if it gets rejected, you at least got some response and it prompted you to take action. It gets old. It gets old and, and and nothing happens and maybe that's because it didn't actually make it to the insurance company or it did and they just they've lost it it's right some, it's somewhere in their adjudication system and and just nothing's happening so one of the things our system does is it tags all the claims with an open balance and says keeps reminding you these claims are out there they need follow up and uh, making and if you're if you're really really trying to do this as a science you want to try to get every claim paid you know to the maximum percent you're not trying to get paid more than you deserve oh, but you just want to make sure right. you know with Millions and millions and millions of claims moving around the the country, some of them are going to get lost, right, even though they're electronic, 95-plus percent of them these days. But uh, so you want to make sure that a software system that you're using uh, like ours does is help you not lose a claim.
1: I would think that with the changes that have got going on, both from the legislative perspective, um, and then obviously with rules and so forth, our you know our documentation and we've seen went from ICD nine to ICD ten, and I don't remember how many was, did it triple. I don't remember how many times over in terms of the number of codes that are are associated with trying to take care of a patient. It went from maybe no, a handful I, on a person to literally could be numbers of codes that you have to deal with yeah so
0: just just for the the listeners benefit, so for decades we've coded the the diagnoses with using something called icd the international classification of disease version nine and the rest of the world moved on to version 10 quite a while ago (laughs) (laughs) but we're and so finally uh a couple years ago primarily driven by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, that, hey, we want to move to version 10 because it gives a lot more flexibility in how you code in terms of you can attach additional modifiers about the severity of the injury or the location the injury was. Very specific, So like the Wall Street Journal came out with some silly combinations like burn injury sustained while water skiing. Well, I guess that perhaps could apply to the folks down at Callaway Gardens or or Cypress Gardens, you know, jumping through the, the flaming hoop. But that was just a particular combination that you could make, not that it would ever ever happen. But, yes, yeah, so that would increase the number of potential codes. You know, I think the the total number of ICD-9 codes is like in the 80,000s, and this would uh, potentially triple that. But any individual practice is, is not going to be dealing with all those 100,000 codes. I mean, if you're an ortho practice or a primary right, care right, practice right. or a pediatrician, yes, it's going to increase the number of codes that you use. Um, and that was all set to go into effect October 1st of this year. Uh, but then uh, Congress, in their infinite wisdom, has decided to del- delay that by another year. So that now takes effect uh, October first, twenty 2015. What a software vendor like ourselves can do is we- – and we were working hard to get that in place and have that in our software ready for, you know, now you won't need it again for another year. But is the ability, one, to do a crosswalk between the old codes right. and the new codes. Uh, but as well just having a good searchable list with some good you know, search tools in, in that new code list. And that's that's something a software uh, provider uh, in, in the medical practice space can provide.
1: And that was, was something that I had kind of understood was the process of changing over was going to potentially cause some gaps and some challenges in terms of the billing side of things it, for these groups as they try to transition from one to it, the it other. It
0: certainly would. And, and because both the medical practices and the payers now are so used to ICD-9, uh, so they know that if the diagnosis is, I don't know, whooping cough, then... They know what the common procedures or, you know, if they see something weird that doesn't match because they know the code set. Now, if, if the, the code set is expanded, uh, it's just going to be a, a, a learning exercise both for the practices and, and the payers. And, of course, the concern is interesting. Uh, I've sent a couple of my staff to ICD-10 training sessions, and one of the things that a good trainer tells them is learning the codes is one thing. But the first thing you've got to start doing is you've got to start building up cash reserves. Because once it goes into effect, the odds are There's that for the delayed. next ninety mm-hmm. days, hundred eighty days, you're going to yeah. see a delay yeah. uh, and change in, in your payment cycles. And so you better have a little bit of cash reserve. So that you, you know, some practices run pretty close to the close to the bone in terms of yes. their reimbursement cash, each month. Yes. You know, is matching their payroll. <laughs> you know, each month, yeah. and if for some reason, uh, you know, you, something goes wrong with your your claims or your your biller isn't following up, you know, your cash flow can can be affected.
1: I would assume that with all the, you know, with the implementation of the ACA to the extent that it's being implemented, and then you you mentioned uh, the high tech stimulus act. I mean, having an entity like yourself to kind of help navigate through those things, I would imagine is going to provide some value in terms of making sure that we are going to get reimbursed to the full extent that we can, and and in the most expeditious fashion that we can.
0: Sure. Yeah, I would certainly recommend to medical practices who might be out there listening to to seriously consider uh, looking at a medical billing company, just because. Uh, of ICD-10, so you know the medical billing staff would be. Oh. If you find the right one, has been trained in that, but just their expertise rather than if you're a small two doc practice trying to navigate all all of this, and you've got vendors calling up saying, "Hey, I'll sell you an EMR," and you you choose when. So what what there are many vendor many medical practices right now who are on there looking for their second or third EMR because Mm -hmm. the you know the first first one they bought. Uh, So yeah, so this the stimulus uh, the High Tech Act, which provided the stimulus funding for medical practices to adopt an electronic medical record product a stimulus now a penalty a couple of years from now so that if, if you're a Medicare if you see Medicare patients there's actually going to be a reduction in your Medicare payments if you haven't adopted EMR that caused a lot of turmoil in the marketplace we had about 400 companies jump in I'll sell you an EMR and now it's uh, the, the new uh, certification requirements for the next level you know once again, our tax tech dollars tech at work, and they're doing it sort of right. They're saying it's got to be a real EMR; it has to meet these criteria, and they're 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 ratcheting up the criteria. Now you have some of these smaller companies who jumped in for phase one, saying, "Ah, I'm going to go do something else now, and if, you know, go buy a different EMR product if you want to achieve the meaningful use two uh, certification." So, how
1: does how do you identify the the recipient of your services or the you know the, the client that you're going to sure. engage, or how do they find you?
0: Yeah, so I think we, we market a couple of different ways. The, you can reach us on our website, practiceadmin.com. Uh, we primarily, as I mentioned, target medical billing companies. So things So you've
1: got somebody that's actually calling on them. Well,
0: yeah, so our, our goal is to find those medical billing companies and then use them as a channel. And so uh, organizations like the, uh, the Healthcare Medical Billing Association, HBMA, uh, and also we also have partnered with several EMR vendors. And so uh, EMR vet companies who don't have a practice management uh, module as part of their solution, and so we partner with them and, and sell through them.
1: Well, you know, I, I always get baffled by how fast our time goes <laughs> by. Uh, you know, what about for you, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, with your message and, and what you're trying to do with, the, with your company, you know, as we've done with our previous guests, are, are there some particular points that you want to drive home for the listener that uh, may be trying to decide, should I go with – a software or a company. integrated, or yep, yeah, yeah,
0: I would say just uh, yeah, take a look at what we and the other best of breed, you know, uh, companies offer. The analogy I always use with an integrated solution is like buying a Swiss Army knife. You know, right. it has the, the saw blade and it has the knife blade, and they're, they're sort of it's big. Kind you of know?
1: unwieldy. But yeah. if I'm
0: going to saw a lot of branches today, I probably want a chainsaw, <laughs> right. right? And so that that's a separate standalone but best of breed product. But the nice thing is obviously you can interface those, those two together. So uh, if you're struggling with medical billing issues, there are there, are, uh, there is support out there for you and encourage you to take a look at a product like Practice Admin.
1: I would assume that that you can help with the day sales outstanding a little bit in terms of the pace at which I get my, my money.
0: Exactly right. You know, one, one of the hallmarks of our product is what we call our Today Screen. When you log in, gives you your AR by days, tells you your, day, your DSOs, and helps you monitor that, you know, on a daily on a daily basis, and try to drive down that, that you, metric.
1: You had mentioned that your you know your website is a, a place where people can go and find out more about the company and, and, and engage with your services. But are you present on like social media, Twitter, Facebook, we are, LinkedIn?
0: We, we have a, a Facebook page. We're on Twitter as well, all under Practice Admin.
1: Okay, so it's. At practice admin will get me to correct the various ones. Yep. Okay. Very good. Yeah, LinkedIn
0: linked as well. Yeah. Just search for practice admin on any those particular
1: sites. phone numbers you think are important, for folks, to know about.
0: Well, just our, our main our main phone number six seven eight two six nine four seven eight zero.
1: And are you Georgia focused? You mentioned you had a client outside the state. No, we so. no.
0: Yeah. So we're a, a Georgia success story. We were formed about ten years ago, not not through uh, like the Georgia Tech ATDC or the Georgia Research Alliance, but just uh, a locally grown software company. But our software is is national in scope. uh, And so we have clients in 41 states today.
1: Well, I want to say thank you to you also, Eric, for making time to come and join us today and share information about your company. I'm hopeful that we can help some uh, either medical practices out there do a little bit better because right now it's, it's, uh, it's tough times in the medical community right now. So I'm very pleased to help get the word out about somebody that's going to help them do a little bit better in their service. I'll come back to you, Bill. You, you mentioned your website, but do you have a presence on like LinkedIn, social media, like Twitter, Facebook?
2: Um, Yeah, we have a fairly active group on LinkedIn, uh, so the best way is to search the Georgia Tech Manufacturing Extension Partnership um, in groups, uh, and that should lead you right to it.
1: Great. And how about you, Lee?
3: Sure. We've got our website is gra.org. Our Twitter URL is at GA underscore R-E-S underscore alliance spelled out, and our Facebook URL is facebook.com. Georgia Research Alliance is a single string.
1: We'll make sure we link up with you all. You know, Some folks out there may or may not know, I also host a, a talk show for the medical community called Top Docs Radio. And you can link up with me in the near term since I just took over here with the Midtown Business Show. Uh, and I'll make sure I tie into all of these organizations. So if you hook up with me at Top Docs on BRX on Twitter and Facebook... Um, You can uh, get information about our guests there. We try to link up with their websites and information so that uh, if they missed it uh, for some reason that they can link uh, with you through us. I want to say thank you all to our guests. Your time is very valuable um, to your companies and to us. So uh, thank you very much for sharing your time and your information today. And uh, I want to say thank you all to the listeners for making us a part of your day. We'll see you here back uh, on a Tuesday.